Welcome to Creation.com Talk. Today's episode is Galileo Myth versus Fact. I'm Dr. Robert Carter, and joining me from a remote location is my good friend, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati. Hello, Jonathan. G'day, everyone, and Rob. So it's going to be fun. We have talked about Galileo a lot, the history of science, the history of religious uh, strife in sciences, and so much of it's made up and so much of it's not. Uh, but the Galileo thing is a particularly important affair because so many people mischaracterize him, what he did, and what the situation was when yeah, he was on trial by the church. And I think uh, before, all of you guys listening in should probably also listen to the talk we did some time ago on the geocentrism issue, uh, which is mainly about the scientific issues concerned. Yeah. And before that, we did a flat one. Yeah, and the geocentrism is a fascinating discussion. Yeah, it was. So Galileo is basically the poster child for this alleged warfare between uh, the church and science. But in reality, it was science versus science and some papal politics. And, oh, yeah. Um, things like that. It's not an easy thing to untangle, but once it's untangled, it's actually a fascinating story of history. But you've done a lot of work looking at some of the people who predate Galileo. Why don't you give the audience a little lowdown on the background behind what his claims were? Well, I see, Galileo wasn't new when it came to ideas about the Earth's rotation. Of course, we had Copernicus, you know, who uh, published uh, his sun-centered, heliocentric view of the solar system. But even before him, in the Middle Ages... Uh, people were quite happy to talk about the Earth's rotation once a day. That's called diurnal rotation, like a daily rotation. And they could do it. These were high up people in the church, like Nicholas of Cusa, who was a cardinal, second in rank only to yeah. the Pope. Uh, you have a Bishop Oraim. You have um, a, another clergyman, Buridan. They, also, they all discussed the idea, well, maybe the Earth is what rotates because the Earth is so much smaller than the cosmos, so it's more economical if the Earth rotated on its axis instead of the, the huge cosmos revolving once around the Earth. Now, they could do it without fear of repercussions. Uh, they ended up rejecting this idea, but they at least were free to discuss it. And in fact, they answered a lot of the objections that were thrown at Galileo hundreds of years later. Um, yeah, in fact, I've been to Copernicus's hometown in Tyrone, oh. Poland. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's a, a monument to him downtown. And in Latin, it says... Nikolai Copernicus, the man who stopped the sun and moved the earth. That's interesting. Quite yeah, a famous really guy neat. then, huh? Yeah, really famous. And he predates Galileo by decades, like 80 years or something like that. A long time. But the thing is, he had no problem from the church. He, some people in the church encouraged him to publish his idea. People were actually quite interested in what he had to say because yeah. they knew very well that the old model was was having crank, had cranks in it. I've been reading a book about the 30 years war that oh, tore apart okay. Central Europe. When you had France versus Spain versus Germany versus England versus the Netherlands versus the Habsburgs and the oh, Ottoman goodness. Empire was, and then you had um, Norway, it was also, or Sweden was also um, invading and warring. And this is the background behind a lot of this, these issues. When Galileo was starting to argue against some established church beliefs, there was a lot of political and religious strife happening. So he wasn't doing this in a vacuum. And I think the Pope and the other powers that be might have wanted to quilch this because they didn't want another conflagration happening in their midst. They're already dealing with the Protestant problem. Well, especially the Protestant problem, which of course we don't think is a problem, is the right to interpret the Bible yourself. And the yeah. Catholics said that they, the church and the magisterium and the great theologians were the only ones who had the right to interpret the church. And Galileo was just a mere 
a mathematics professor who was a lowest rank in the uh, university hierarchy, and here he was say, telling the church how they should interpret Scripture. Now, we might agree with what Galileo said, but it was still, how dare this mathematician tell us, tell us theologians how to understand the Bible? That was playing into the Protestant hands. But weren't a lot of Galileo's ideas borrowed from prior people? I mean, I don't think he invented all of this stuff himself, right? Well, it's amazing how little he did invent in a lot of the arguments he used about the Earth's rotation. I mean, for instance, why don't we feel the Earth's rotation? It's because the Earth shares its, its motion with the atmosphere, the hydrosphere, and with us. And that was pointed out in the Middle Ages. So Galileo is making a lot of use of the Middle Ages. And I don't think he, he said was something called the mean speed theorem, which is mean, what, what would be the distance traveled by something that, that was accelerating at a constant rate, and he worked out that the distance would be the same as if it went at the average speed okay. for the same amount of time. Now, he, he drew a graph of that, but Aurelian had done the graph of that long before, yeah. hundreds of years before, and people called the Merton Calculators of Oxford had actually first approved this mean speed theorem, which was so essential for Galileo's work. So he borrowed a lot from... For, for things today also. We use oh, that yes. in, in various scientific applications. Oh, okay. So for the audience's sake, um, what we're trying to convey is that we don't operate in a vacuum. No. And very often someone will come up with this brilliant idea, but it's really just a new application of an older idea or a further refinement of an older idea. Uh. Or they're taking things that were laid down by the predecessors and finally codifying them into something that we can deal with. And it's not like the medieval period was the Dark Ages. That's a ridiculous thought. These people were brilliant. They were struggling with knowledge and what they can and cannot know. And they're figuring things out that we might struggle figuring out if we were in their position. So we got to do a big hat tip to people that came before, and Galileo needs to do that also because he was basing a lot of what he did on older people. Well, yes. So tell us about Copernicus a little bit. Okay, well, see, he published on basically close to... He, he His book came out shortly before he died, and he got the myth that he was afraid of what the church would do to him. Yeah, but in fact, what he was some, really afraid Something people of, definitely believe. But, but he was actually afraid. He knew very well his ideas didn't have scientific support. Most of the astronomers disagreed with him. I mean, he couldn't prove the Earth moving. How, how did he get this Earth moving? It doesn't look like it's moving. We don't feel it moving. So almost all astronomers yeah. thought he was talking a load of nonsense. He was going against the great Ptolemy, you know, who wrote the Almagest, which means the, the greatest. That's what the, the Arabic term means. Yeah. I mean, and he went against Aristotle, of course. He was just called the philosopher because he was so well um, regarded. They pretty much enshrined Aristotle's work in the Middle Ages. If you disagreed with him, you must be ignorant. I mean, that's how, how strong his and pervasive his influence was. So Copernicus knew very well he was going against the science. He didn't have the science of his day on, the sci on his side. So we've got to make sure we look at what they had reasonable knowledge of at the time rather than think they should have had knowledge that we which they had no way of knowing no way in fact something that we published in our uh, article about geocentrism uh, there wasn't actually scientific proof that the earth moved until the 1800s mm, that's when we right. could finally measure the wiggling of a star as the earth went about the sun uh, over the course of a year and it was just moving a fraction of a degree, but we needed a telescope that was accurate enough to measure it. And it wasn't until the, actually the 1800s where we measured the parallax in a nearby star. Well, and everything before yeah. that, 
they, you know, they figured out that the earth went around the sun, but mathematically it's almost the same thing as if the sun goes around the earth. They knew it wasn't right, but they actually didn't have the physical proof yet. So that's the world of Copernicus. That's the world of Galileo. That's the world of Kepler and all the other uh, great early astronomers. I mean, there are two, again, two different sets of motion. One is the orbital motion around the sun. The other is the rotation of its axis. And as you say, the orbital motion uh, wasn't proven until much later because of the parallax. Also something called stellar aberration, where the, the starlight seems to be coming at a very slightly different angle as the Earth moves. That was not discovered till well after Galileo. Then yeah. you have things like the Foucault pendulum, which was the only the first time Earth's rotation could actually be measured. That's due to the Coriolis effect. And again, uh, they didn't know that at the time. Not yet, but they were certainly working on it. Although I, I learned fairly recently that Galileo actually had the proof at his fingertips, but he missed it. He did, a lot of, he did a lot of work on the pendulum, right? So uh, yes. discovering the pendulum has a constant period. But also he, they, he and his um, student noticed the pendulum seemed to diverge very slowly. He thought it was an artifact of the, um, of the experimental era, but it was actually due to the Coriolis effect of the Earth's rotation. So he could have preferred proof. But it just goes to show you, if someone as brilliant as Galileo missed that, that chance, then you can't blame his opponents for also... Um, missing it. Yeah, because who would have thought that, that that would have an effect? It took them a long time to figure that out. That's really cool. I did not know that about the pendulum thing. Well, see, Rich, Cardinal Riccioli, a few decades after Galileo, he actually made a prediction of what we now call the Coriolis effect, but he thought the absence of it, he, he didn't know it uh, existed. He, he thought there was very good evidence for a stationary Earth, but at least he actually realized there would be something that we would now call the Coriolis deflection if the Earth moved. He thought it hadn't been, he couldn't see it, so it didn't move. Which is reasonably you know, is it, good science. Is it true that the Coriolis effect wasn't discovered until uh, long-range cannons around World War One, World War Two era? Or is that just when they started noticing it that had effect and they had to adjust their aim? I think probably when they first realized what was going on. I think because the Foucault pendulum actually predated the World okay. War One cannons. And that was okay. definitely showing you could detect the Coriolis effect, yeah. All right, let's move on to the discussion of Galileo versus the Pope. Because this is, it sure sounds like the Catholic Church was trying to suppress scientific knowledge and prevent Galileo from publishing and things like that. Um, but wasn't Galileo encouraged by the Church? Like, oh, I yeah. think Copernicus is, I think one of his sponsors was actually the Pope of his day. Oh, a lot so of now people. We have a later Pope, did. new generation. We have Galileo, and there's Urban VIII. And what's going on here? Why, why is this such a, a controversy? Well, I think they were great, they were great friends at first. That's one thing. They were very good yeah. friends. And I think Urban has said, well, this is a great idea. How about you publish it as a hypothesis? Don't take sides. Now, you mustn't take sides. You mustn't say it's a fact. But publish it as a hypothesis. And Galileo disobeyed the Pope by publishing basically as a fact. And also, I mean, the, the heliocentrists used some arguments about uh, the Pope had given, which is about, well, maybe just God made it that way to explain yeah. away observations. And he put that into the mouth of Simplicio, which is also a meaning, meaning's the fool. So, so in, his, in his book, but Dialogue Concerning the Two World Systems, is that the name yeah, of it? Yeah, the Two Chief World Systems, yes. And okay, the yeah. heliocentrist was the, was the fool, was, was a character who was well known as, as the jester or the fool. And, and that guy used the Pope's arguments, of course, to be shot down by Salviati, the enlightened um, Copernican. So here we have two friends, and one friend gives the other friend some political advice that the first friend 
does not heed. And while he's going against the political advice, he takes his other friend's words and puts them into the, the uh, mouth of a moron in a book. <laughs> what are you thinking, Galileo? You know, oh, he's going to get mad at you when he's the Pope. He's the most powerful man in your world. What were you thinking? Oh, and there's also some deception there because uh, he had the, the there was a two chief world systems, but the, the, the system he used was Copernicus and Ptolemy, but Ptolemy had already okay. been rejected. Okay, hold it. Okay. Ptolemy believed in the crystal spheres, the earth is the center. Everything went around it. Okay. Okay. And Copernicus said that the earth goes around the sun. In circles. In circles. That's right. Okay. Yes. So the difference is, is old school, everything goes around the earth versus perfect circles around the sun. Right. But by that time, they'd rejected all that. And what were they discussing at this point in time? Well, the, the main, well, see, they, they, Galileo discovered that Venus has phases, which yes. is consistent with moving around, the Venus at least moved around the sun, even if not the earth didn't, at least Venus did. And astronomers took that on board, like people like Tycho Brahe um, yes. proposed the idea that the, that the sun moved around the earth and the stars and the moon moved around the earth, but everything, the planets moved around the sun, especially Venus. Yes, yeah, Venus and Mercury, which would have to go around the sun. Right. But something like Jupiter um, or Saturn, their orbits are so wide, whether it went around the sun or went around the earth was probably a matter of... Debate. Didn't matter quite so much, uh, but to yeah. explain the things like phases of Venus and the retrograde motion, things like that, uh, and that was that had already replaced Ptolemy's system by the time of Galileo. So to say that uh, he's knocking down a straw man is something that most edu educated people had already rejected by then. Yeah, and the other, I guess you're going to have retrograde motion of Mars. That means that Mars is orbiting the Sun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then also you have Kepler. See, Kepler was a was a, a contemporary of Galileo. He proposed yeah. that things went around in ellipses, which of course is a far better model than anything. But Galileo saw that as a competitor. Competitor. I guess he would have, yeah, because uh, Kepler took uh, Tycho Brahe's data after Brahe died, and Kepler's caught up in the uh, the Protestant Catholic wars and going from mm -hmm. city to city, trying not to get himself killed. Um, so yeah, definitely a competitor. This guy was not on the side of the Catholic Church, but also not on the side of Galileo because Galileo rejected side, uh, yeah. ellipses. Um, so the two best models were with Kepler versus Tycho, and yep. basically Galileo was doing the sort of undercard. The two also rands, which are Copernicus versus Ptolemy. And interestingly, I mean, at the time you could not have scientifically proven Kepler versus Tycho. There's there's no no, I mean, it's, yeah, the observational evidence fit both sides very well. We had to get really precise measurements. That's going to take centuries before we got there. But even so, most people were giving up on, or at least pretty soon would start giving up on uh, geocentrism, especially after Newton introduces gravity theory. And all of a sudden, gravity can explain, you know, Kepler's three laws of planetary motion and all that. So we had a, we had a, a descriptive model and a physical reason for it existing, where in the uh, geocentric model, there's no physics. Now, ha we've, if, we've talked before about this, haven't we? Uh, in yes, our, we have. About how, because you've got a physical explanation, you can now make predictions like uh, Neptune yeah. be discovered. Didn't you tell me that um, uh, Uranus had gone about a quarter way around the uh, orbit? Uh, three, they, three quarters away around. Okay, three quarters. And, and they, they realized there's something there wrong. Discrepancies. Yeah, there must be another planet out there and a, I don't remember the person's name anymore but he wrote a letter to the Berlin Observatory he said point your, camera, point your telescopes here 
And that night they discovered Uranus. The Leverrier, was it? I wonder. Yeah, maybe. I forget. They, they should have discovered it in England, but they were being pig-headed about it, and so the Germans did it instead. They used Newton's ideas to discover an invisible planet before the planet that they were basing on had even gone one orbit around the sun. I mean, that's how what a predictive engine this is. And didn't we say in our, um, our geocentrism articles that Newton's uh, law of gravity is the single greatest uh, driver of scientific prediction in history? I think it has to be. I also like to challenge any geocentrist. How would you have discovered Neptune under your model? Well, it was a fluke. It was an accident. No, there was a reason for it being there. That's like you say, yeah. All right, so Galileo and the Pope. Galileo has got this friend. This friend gets in, elevated to the highest political position, and then he insults him. Yeah. And so they, what, they threaten to cut his head off? I mean, they're going to burn him at the stake? I they, mean, they insulted him. He insulted but also disobeyed. He broke his promise. He broke a promise not to treat the heliocentric model as a fact. He broke that quite blatantly. He pretended it was a dialogue, but no. Um, clearly, the heliocentrists had all the best arguments. That was very clear. Oh, so, okay, but what was the... What what potential fines or punishment was he facing? Because most skeptics think or believe or teach or assert that the Catholic Church was burning heretics, and therefore any scientific disagreement they would have been burnt at the stake too. Well, no, uh, because uh, yeah, that wasn't and, the case. Well, see, the Inquisition has. I mean, okay, I'm not con- condoning the Inquisition by any means no. because people should not be um, threatened over what they believe. Okay, I'm a free speech person. But, I mean, free speech didn't exist anywhere in Europe. It didn't exist anywhere. Uh, Nowhere. Nowhere. And there were rules. I mean, they could not torture anyone who was sickly or old. That was against the rules of the Inquisition. So Galileo was never in danger of being tortured. That was against the rules. He was was in his 60s, I think. um, And he was not very healthy. So no danger of being tortured. But also, that wasn't even brought up, was it? I mean... I think it's a sort of formality which really had no effect and everyone knew it had no effect. Okay. Okay, so because so, it wasn't what allowed. What did they do to him? Well, they pointed out that he had broken promises and he yeah. lied about breaking the promises. Um, and but, but then his sentence was basically house arrest at a luxury villa where he was free to promote or do all the scientific work. He wrote his, his greatest Including book. His, which, his greatest scientific works, yeah. The yeah. things that made him famous, yeah. Uh, the, 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 and justly so in this case, the the, uh, di- the dialogue among two uh, new scientists, new two new sciences, which is incredibly good work. But that was done while he was under house arrest, so it wasn't in, in in a prison. He was never taught. He was never executed. Okay, but what did he introduce in that particular book you just mentioned? Why is that such a great book? Oh, well, he, he did things like, for instance, the the square cube law that we that you've talked about about why why we couldn't have giants of human proportions yeah. that were yeah, twelve. Because the legs would have to get a lot thicker than yeah. than they are proportionally, or else our legs would snap. And the reason why you can't have a a Fred Flintstone type of a dinosaur egg. Oh my goodness, yes, that's true. Yeah, you can't have a gigantic egg. The embryo would suffocate inside because of the square cube law, thanks mm. to Galileo. And also things like the parabolic trajectory. That was in that, that book, too. The idea that uh, you shoot a projectile and it goes in a parabola, at least in a uniform gravitational field, as we would say. And and people didn't believe him. They resisted this idea. Well, Aristotle's yet... idea was... <laughs> but in fact, it was... This sort of thing, para parabola. But it was Galileo, you see, that was good stuff. Yeah, great stuff. So he was a world-class scientist who was not politically astute. 
shall we say. And also go back to the charge of a church and when it talked about his ideas were absurd and false in philosophy and formally heretical. Now, okay, doesn't that mean he was a heretic? Well, see, see, false in philosophy meant natural philosophy in those days. They didn't have a word science. That was invented right. in the um, much later. William Huell invented that word. So he they used the term natural philosophy. So he's saying okay. that his claims were false in science. And because of that, they were heretical. The, see, the heresy okay. was because they went against the science of the day. Interesting. Which they did. Yeah, they certainly did. And uh, honestly, a lot of the things he said were just flat out wrong. Oh, the tides theory was one, wasn't it? Oh, ridiculous. Man, ridiculous. I mean, obviously this guy didn't grow up on the coast. I, mean, I grew up on the coast. We had two tides a day in my backyard. I mean, that's that's just the way it was. Oh, my goodness. But there are some places in the world that only have one tide and some places that have no tides and some uh -huh. places that have irregular tides. I don't know. I mean, was he associated? I mean, okay. If he was living in Italy, he might have been familiar with uh, the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean right. is not an ocean. No, that's an important thing, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe he just had a false idea because he wasn't paying attention to the rest of the world. Who would have known that there are two tides a day? And how also the idea that somehow Earth's rotation explained it goes against his own ideas that the Earth would share yeah. rotation with everything on it. So yeah. it contradicts him. He contradicts himself. Yeah, the and only course, thing that would do is produce an equatorial bulge of water, but not a a longitudinal wave of water that the tides are. So clearly he was he was contradicting himself. And I think people knew the moon did it, but the Venerable Bede knew the moon did it. He wrote about that in the 8th century. So he had the right yeah. idea, but Galileo thought that was an occult view, which means hidden. And Bede was not some obscure person. I mean, every single theologian right. read Bede up until the 1900s. As, quite, as they should. As they should, yes. Great. He says a very interesting thing, shall we say. I mean, I think you've written a, a, an article about the tides, which sort of goes into how the moon and the sun actually work together with the Earth's... That's, that's your, your, your baby there, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite scientific things I ever figured out was how to explain the tides, because I've never been satisfied with other explanations. They get to you know, centrifugal forces and all this oh other kind my. of stuff. It's just, it's just way confusing. So we've put that in right, links in uh, to below then. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, how to explain the tides. I've loved that. So let's go back to the trial a little bit. Who is Cardinal Bellarmino? Oh, Bellarmino was the, the leading theologian of the Catholic Church. In fact, he, yeah, right. he was also taught astronomy in the university. So in fact, he oh, might be oh. more qualified in astronomy than Galileo was in theology. <laughs> he was no fool. So he's definitely more qualified in theology than Galileo, probably more qualified in astronomy. But Galileo was doing things like looking through telescopes at Jupiter and Venus and things. So he just, his his theory wasn't so great. His practical experience might have been pretty good. But in fact, Bella, I mean, had access to other astronomers in the church who were also yeah. looking at telescopes. They were doing things that Galileo was doing. So there were people in the church who actually could... Um, verify Galileo's observations, uh, if not the explanations for them. But Bellarmine's very famous for saying, if it could be proven that the earth really does move, we'd have to reconsider the way we've understood some passages of scripture. But he yeah. said, such proof has not been shown to me. Yes. And so he's, he's discussing the fact that there are passages in the Bible that seem to indicate that the sun goes around the earth. Right. And you've written about that. I've written about that. Well, how do we answer people that claim that the Bible is geocentric? Probably, I, I think Bellarmine would have come up with these explanations if there'd been proof of the earth's motion because 
plenty of people in the church did later. And the, I think the yeah. reason is uh, what we've discussed before about relative motion, how we've used um, uh, things, phenomenal language. language. And we discussed things like Acts 27, 27, where the sailors uh, detected land moving towards them. That's in the original <laughs> Greek. That's Acts 27, 27 in the Greek. I love that passage. It's got the nauticocentric frame. So the Bible is open to using frames apart from the earth. Yes, and so are we today. So are we we today. do this all the time. We talk about sunrise. We talk about sunset. We don't, you know, your GPS isn't, um, the reference coordinates for your GPS are not the sun or the galactic center. It's your position on the earth at that time. And what you've said, the uh, the idiocentric view is one thing, something you've, you've talked about, right? Yeah, the idiocentric, not being stupid, but being self-centered. And the uh, flat earthers specifically fall to that. They tend to say, if I can't see it, I'm not going to believe it. Yeah. Well, uh, that's kind of ridiculous because you're kind of small compared to the size of the earth. It takes more than just you to um, yeah. demonstrate most of the big things in astronomy. Hey, John, you said something about this guy named Martianus Capella, and I had not heard of him before. Who is, who is this person? Well, see, Martianus Capella was a, a, a guy living, I think, in the in the fifth or sixth century AD, okay. and he had the, he actually realized that because we see Venus and Mercury very close to the sun, he proposed that Venus and Mercury actually went around the sun. Oh, that's um, a, fi- a thousand years before. Copernicus, thousand years before Galileo here. Right, so in Galileo's observation of phases of Venus are equally consistent with the Capellan model as with the Copernican model, Kepler and Tychonium. So to say that uh, Galileo proved his own view with his phase of Venus, no, it actually was was compatible with a multiple uh, number of views, including some of the geocentric views of the day, like Capella, like uh, Tycho Brahe's uh, model. It's interesting, before, so a thousand years before, people were thinking about the Earth not being the only center of motion, which went against Galileo, so, of course. It went, sorry, yes. went against um, Aristotle, I meant. So these people are trying to deal with some very difficult issues. The science was rudimentary. Their observations were you know, not nearly as, as, as deep as we have today. They didn't have the instrumentation to actually measure it. And they're just struggling. And this is a really interesting uh, essay in how science works. But Galileo himself, I mean, he resisted the idea that the moon causes the tides. Uh, he called that occult or hidden. Yeah. He resisted the thought that comets were on the other side of or further away from us than the moon is, because that would support, you know, t- uh, Kepler, not himself. And um, so there's politics involved. There's there's philosophy involved. There's lack of knowledge involved, but the fact is that the reason Galileo was persecuted was because he was politically, he made political mistakes, shall we say. Yes. And his life was never in danger. The church was not suppressing the knowledge. The church wanted it properly managed, and he came out of the gate with all guns blazing, and just in in that situation, it was just the wrong thing to do. Well, I mean, when you think of Riccioli a few years later, who was actually a, a, a Jesuit priest as well as a great scientist, he actually did experiments for the first time confirming Galileo's actual law of fall. His, his, uh, in his uh, square, uh, this, the square of the of the time, uh, Galileo did sort of related things by rolling things on incline, but um, 
people like Robert Scholl were the first to actually demonstrate it in a f- uh, actual form of motion. So they were happy to respect what Galileo had con- contributed, just didn't agree with his conclusions about um, the Earth's motion. Yeah, didn't Galileo have an inclined board with a series of bells that were unequally spaced? They got further and further apart, so when you rolled a ball down, the uh, bells would ring like bong, 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 bong. The only reason a way to do that is the ball was accelerating. Yes, and he proved again the mean the speed theorem that the Middle Ages, uh, the medieval people did. But uh, Riccioli was the first to do it with actual falling bodies. Wow, that'd be it's much harder. Quite interesting. Much harder. Yes, you, you can control the speed a little better. Oh yeah, uh, I just showed these guys the the geocentrists of a day were not cranks. They were not fools. No, they weren't. Today, that's no longer true. Um, but yes, you know, back then they had good reasons for resisting. Um, the newer ideas. I think we discussed some of them in their other talk, didn't we? It's been so long. John, any concluding comments we can leave with the audience before we sign off? Well, the Galileo theory is far more complex than you might read in popular books and websites. It was not just a simplistic science versus religion struggle. It was very much a struggle of science versus science and also the intersection with papal politics and basically the Reformation versus Catholic politics of the time. I couldn't have said any better. There you go, audience. That's our summary of Galileo fact versus myth. We hope you enjoyed that. We hope you will uh, dig into some of the materials we have on us on creation.com. There's going to be some links in the show notes. We just go to creation.com. You can type in in a search box Galileo or Flat Earth or Geocentrism or uh, Tycho Brahe or Copernicus or any number of things. Uh, The history of science is amazing. And the history of science and faith is also amazing because science is not at war with faith.